The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrew Martin. I'm the youth pastor here at Christ the King, and it's my privilege uh, to welcome you all to our service this morning. And uh, we're going to be beginning a series, a sermon series in the book of Revelation. So I'd invite you to please open uh, your copy of God's Word to Revelation chapter 1. And as we, as we turn to this, to this part of God's true Word, um, I imagine that in, the, in, in our midst this morning, there are people who probably enjoy writing poetry. Uh, maybe there are those who don't write, but they enjoy reading poetry. Uh, I want to tell you, I'm, I'm someone who for the last couple of years has really desired to, to read and appreciate poetry more. Um, I am not a poetry expert by any means of the, any stretch of the imagination, uh, but I find it beautiful. I find it to be very moving. There's times when I will read a phrase or, or see an image uh, in a poem and I'll think, wow, that, is, that really speaks uh, to my experience in life or that really points to, to what I'm longing for. But there are also times when I'll be reading a poem and I'll come across a phrase or an image and I, I go away feeling pretty frustrated. I go away feeling uh, confused uh, because I don't understand uh, what it's saying. And I imagine that, that many of you may be able to relate to my experience with poetry as we come to our series in the book of Revelation this morning. Uh, you see, uh, some of us may have uh, read or attempted to read parts of this book in the past and, and maybe you've encountered images. Maybe you've encountered details in this beautiful book uh, that were confusing. Maybe you've come across things and you walked away thinking, I have no idea uh, what John is talking about right now. And if that has been your experience, the first thing I want to do as we start the series is I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that, that you, you are not alone uh, in your experience. You see, uh, one of my favorite uh, theologians is a, a gentleman named Dr. Vern Poitras. He uh, teaches at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. And, and this is what he says about his experience and, and about our experience with, with Revelation. He says, you will not necessarily understand every detail. Neither do I. But it is not necessary to understand every detail in order to profit spiritually from it. And, and, and friends, that is exactly what God intends for us as we read the book of Revelation. Uh, God has not set out to confuse and frustrate us. He hasn't set out to, to cover up truth. No, he's actually set out to do the exact opposite. And uh, we're, we're going to read uh, a passage in just a moment. But before we do, I do want us to take one quick look at uh, the very first verse in the book of Revelation. Look at Revelation 1, uh, verse 1. That very first phrase, you'll see it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that word revelation, uh, this word is translated from the Greek word apocalypse. So if you've ever heard the word apocalypse, you wondered, what is that? Well, well that's, that's revelation. That's what that word means. And revelation is a kind of communication that seeks to unveil, to unveil and to reveal truth. It seeks to make it known. And so when God gives us this revelation, he's telling us, I, I want you to understand my point in writing this and giving this word to you is to, to help you see more clearly what is true. And, uh, and as we read the words in this book, the truth that God is revealing to us uh, can be summarized very easily. Is it, I don't know if any, you don't have to raise your hand, but I, I wonder if anyone here has ever worn or seen someone wear a pair of Nike shoes. 
could have been basketball shoes or tennis shoes or running shoes, but we're, we're all familiar with Nike, uh, the company. Well, if you've ever seen or worn a pair of Nike shoes, you've, you've actually seen a one-word summary of the book of Revelation. You see, the word Nike uh, in Greek means victory. That's what that word means. And the, the verb, the, the verb form of victory, of Nike, occurs more times in the book of Revelation than anywhere else in the New Testament combined. That is the truth. That is the ultimate big picture truth God is seeking to reveal to us in this book, in the book of Revelation. And it can be summarized in one word, victory. And if you need two words, you can say this, Jesus wins. And that is good news. Uh, so that is, that is what we're going to be looking at. And so with this in mind, let's begin our series in Revelation uh, chapter 1, reading verses 1 through 8. Please follow along with me as we read. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Well, Father, we thank you that as the king and ruler of the whole universe is the one who is and who knows all truth. We thank you that you have chosen to reveal truth to us. Thank you that you have given us uh, this beautiful book, your good and true and holy word. And we ask, Lord, that you would just open up our hearts uh, to not only understand and see the truth, uh, but to believe it. We pray that it would sink deeply into our hearts and it, it would transform our lives as we seek to follow you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may have noticed that the, the title uh, for this uh, morning's sermon is, What is Revelation About? Now, we've, we've hit on that a little bit just a moment ago, and uh, this is the big question we're going to continue to explore together uh, this morning. And one of the things we'll see right off the bat is that Revelation is about a call to faithfulness. And we, this call is issued to all, of, to all Christians. Look with me in verse 4. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. We see here that in addition to being a revelation or an apocalypse from God, this book is also a letter. It's a letter written uh, to God's people, and it's a letter to God's people in every time and every place throughout history. And we see this by the use of the number seven. Look with me again at verse four. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Uh, now, I don't know if, if any of you here really enjoy math. If you do, you're going to love Revelation uh, because Revelation uh, uses numbers uh, to signify very important and significant truths. 
And the number seven in Revelation uh, is used to, to, is the number of spiritual completeness. It's the number that represents fullness. And so when he uh, is talking about uh, the number seven and writing to these churches, he, those seven churches represent the fullness of God's church. They represent the completeness of God's church. And so John's letter here is a message for all of God's people. It was for those seven real-life original churches that he wrote to in Asia. And it's also for you and for me. And it's for every church, every Christian who will ever live way beyond our days. This, mer- this message is for all of us. And this message includes, as we have said, it includes a call to faithfulness. Look with me in verse 3 again. He says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. John shows us that in addition to being a revelation or an apocalypse and a letter, revelation is also a prophecy. And, uh, and understanding the nature of Old Testament prophecy is going to help us uh, understand what John means when he says prophecy here. I imagine that when many of us hear the word prophecy, we probably begin to think of, like, oh yeah, telling about things that are going to happen in the future. And that's absolutely true. That is a part of prophecy. That was a part of the Old Testament prophet's message. Um, And we see this in very famous passages like Isaiah 7, verse 14, where it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, We know that this is a a very true um, foretelling of the birth of Jesus. But Old Testament prophets, in addition to foretelling God's word, they also would do something we call forthtelling of God's word. Uh, They were uh, calling for a renewal of people's commitment to God in the present. That was a big part of their message, and we actually see that in Isaiah as well. If you look in Isaiah, I mean, I'm going to read it to you, but if you go back later and look at Isaiah chapter 1, one of my favorite passages in verses 16 and 17, this is what the prophet says to God's people. He says, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. The The Old Testament prophets spent much of their time calling God's people to faithfulness. And that is what John is doing here as well. Look again at verse 3. He says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And at the end, and blessed are those who keep, who follow, who obey what is written. John is issuing a prophetic call of faithful obedience to God. And this is a call for all the churches and it's also a call uh, for our day and time as well. Take a look at verse 1. He says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. And then he says, the things that must soon take place. And then he, he says something similar. If we go back to verse 3, he, he says again, uh, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And then the very last phrase in that verse, take a look there. He says, for the time is near. Now, to understand what, what John is talking about, because some of us may think, wow, well, John wrote 2,000 years ago. Did he miss the train? Uh, well, he certainly did not. Um, this is God's inspired word. It is without error. And so to help us understand, well, so what's he talking about here? It helps us to see that these phrases are echoes from an Old Testament prophecy. They're echoing the words of the prophet Daniel, who many of you have, have probably heard. You see, several hundred years before Jesus was born, the Israelites had been sent into exile And uh, during that time, God and his faithfulness continued to speak to his people, and he spoke through the prophet Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 2, he spoke, he foretold the coming of God's eternal kingdom. 
that was actually in your bulletin. If you, if you look back there later, you, you can see he's talk, he, he foretells, hey, one day there's going to be a kingdom that's going to come and it will last forever. And God is going to set it up. But if you pay attention, when Daniel talks about that, he says, hey, let me tell you about this thing that's going to happen in the latter days. The time is, it's, it's not right now, it's going to be later, right? Well, you see, John, he's actually, he's picking up on this theme. But rather than saying the latter days, did you hear what he said? He said, these things must soon take place. He says, the time is near. And so what John is doing is he is also referring to the establishment of that same kingdom, but rather than being a distant day in the future like it was for Daniel, it has already been inaugurated by Jesus. It has been inaugurated by the, by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That kingdom has actually come. It's, it's going on right now. And so John is speaking to the time between the first and the second coming of Jesus, a time that applied to the first century church and also a time uh, that we continue to, ha- to inhabit today. Now, the, the time is not yet complete. The kingdom has been inaugurated. It's already, but it's also not yet. It's not fully consummated yet. That's what we're waiting for. And during this in-between time of the already not yet, we are called to faithfulness just as our Christian family in the first century was called. And y'all, we need to hear this call because there are many, many obstacles that would turn us away from faithfulness during this time. When we first uh, moved to Roanoke a few years ago, my wife and I were working with a local realtor to, to, to purchase a house. And uh, the day before we were going to close on this house, uh, we were driving over to meet the realtor to do one last walkthrough uh, before, we, before we signed on the dotted line. Now, as we were driving over there, a, a very intense storm uh, began to pass through the county. Some of you all probably remember it if you were living here. This was back in 2018, and you'll probably remember the storm because after it was over, people were referring to it in relation to the, to the flood of 1985 uh, that was here in Roanoke. And if you remember, it was, it was a pretty intense storm. I've never driven through anything quite like it uh, in, in my life. We were driving there and like just, it was like someone was standing there with buckets of water just pouring them over our windshield. Um, there was water washing across the road. My windshield wipers could barely keep up with keeping the water off. I mean, it was kind of like trying to drive through a car wash with your windshield wipers on, being like, maybe I can see clearly. No, <laughs> like, this, was, this was pretty intense. And there were, there were a few moments on that drive over when I wondered, I might need to turn around. I might have to turn, pull off the road here. I'm not sure I can keep going in this situation. And y'all, that's a, that's a picture of the kinds of storms, the kinds of obstacles that, that we face as Christians that would seek to turn us away from faithfulness to God. And it was absolutely true uh, for the first Christians who, who read this letter. You see, this was written probably around 90 AD, so it's the first century, uh, maybe 60 years after Jesus had, had, had died and rose again. That's about when he was writing. And during that time, uh, the Christians were living in Asia. So that part of the world is what we would today call Turkey. It was in the, in the modern country of Turkey, although it wasn't Turkey yet. Uh, it was under the Roman Empire. And, and what was going on at that time was uh, basically there were a few select groups of people who did not have to worship the emperor. Uh, imagine if, like, in our country they said, hey, we have to all start worshiping our president that would feel unheard of to our ears, but that's what was going on. It's like if you were part of the Roman Empire, you, you, would, you would worship the emperor. And uh, there were a few people who were excluded from that. It's like, hey, you get a pass, you don't have to do this. But Christians were not on that list. Christians were not excused from worshiping the emperor. And those who, who said, well, I, I can't do that. My allegiance is to Jesus Christ as my only Lord. They were persecuted. 
And many of them, I imagine, felt a pretty strong pull on their physical bodies and on their souls to be like, well, maybe this isn't worth it. Maybe I should turn away and just, just go to the altar, just put a little pinch of incense on there, and this can all stop. That's the kind of thing that, that these Christians were facing. And although our situations are different today, uh, we also, we, we face difficult things. We face storms, we face challenges that would seek to turn us away from faithfulness to God also. And, uh, and this call uh, to persevere is, is just as much for us as it was for them. And I imagine if, if we were to sit down, most of us would have little trouble uh, describing some of the things we face that are challenging that make it hard uh, to follow Jesus, that threaten to turn us away from him. But as we think about those things, we, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is our highest goal in life? What are we aiming for? Is it to, to glorify God by responding to his call for faithfulness, to respond by living a life of obedience? Or, or is, it, um, is it to do something else? Is it to avoid storms? and anything that would, that would lead us into them. Now, I just want to caveat this a little bit. Clearly, when we're physically driving, there are times and storms when it's wise to pull off <laughs> on the side of the road. Please don't hear what I'm saying. Well, Andrew said we should just push right through this. No, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. Uh, and as Christians as well, when we speak of this in, like, in spiritual terms, we don't just go seeking storms for the sake of seeking storms. You know, we're not trying to, to, to seek out trouble. That's not what we're called to. And yet, what's also true is that Jesus tells us when we follow him, we will go through storms. Following Jesus is, is not easy. He describes it in terms of, 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 of taking up our cross and, and following him. And so when we, when we consider this call, we have to ask ourselves, is our goal to live faithfully or is it to live free of storms? Now, I don't, I don't know what answers are running through your mind this morning. Uh, maybe some of us haven't really considered this question for a while. Maybe we've just sort of been, as it's so easy to do, I know it's easy for me, maybe we're just kind of going through the motions of life and we're, we're not really, we're just trying to make it day to day. We're not really thinking about our, our destination. That, that may be, but whatever the case is, this passage reminds us and makes it very clear that the Christian goal in life is faithfulness to God. That is what we're, we're shooting for, but like so many goals, it is so easy to say, and it's, it's not easy to achieve. It's easier uh, said than done. We, we understand the call. We might even hopefully long to answer it faithfully, but, but we feel overcome and discouraged by the storms that are raging around us. And so the good news we see this morning is that in addition to a, a beautiful call to faithfulness, revelation is also about assurance from God. Um, now, before we get into the second part, I, I want to ask the kids here a question. Uh, kids, can I get your attention for a second? Hopefully, you're already paying attention, but if you're not, that's all right. Um, have any of you all ever been, like, somewhere really cool, like a, like a space museum or a zoo or, or some kind of, like, cool store where there's just, like, a lot of cool stuff to see and look at? Anyone ever, anyone ever been to a place like that? I see a few heads nodding. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, I see your hand there. High five, man. Um, so, so that's, that's kind of like what we're going to do. Now, have any of you ever been in one of these places? You're looking at all the cool stuff, and you're like, man, there's not enough time to see it all. Like, we're, we can't do this all in one day. Anyone ever had that, and you had to leave knowing, like, man, there's still some stuff we, we didn't get to see? Well, I've had that experience, and that's kind of like what this morning is going to be like. We're going to look at some really, really amazing things about God here, and we're, we're not going to have time to look at it all. 
There's a lot. We, we could spend hours in here, which we won't do in case anyone's getting uptight. Uh, we could spend hours looking at the amazing things about God just in this passage alone. But here's what I want us to do. So kids, you, you with me? You pay attention. I want us to do two things. One, I want you to focus in with me because what we're, I'm very excited to, for us to see these things together, these amazing things about God. Here's the second thing I want you to do. Later today, I want you to go home. If you know how to read, I want you to read this passage again. If you don't know how to read, that's okay. Just find someone who does, like a sibling or a parent, and have them read it with you. And I want you to see what other cool things are you able to discover about God in this passage. All right, you guys got that? We good? All right, let's, let's do this. One of the key things we see in this passage is assurance of who God is. Look with me in verse 4. It says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Now, we, we've talked about the Old Testament quite a bit. These are also phrases that you will hear describing God in the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament is all over the book of Revelation, just so you know. It's, it's really awesome. And as one scholar points out, in those places in the Old Testament, when it's talking about God who is and who was and who is to come, it's, it's talking about how God is eternal. That is true. It's also talking about the God who rules over the entire universe. It's talking about the God who can keep his promises to save his people no matter what it is that they may face. That is, that is what is being brought across uh, in those passages. And this is the same confidence that John is proclaiming in this verse. And we see it again in verse 8. Look with me there. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, those two words, Alpha and Omega, some of us may have heard them, but for some of us, those may be new words. They may be words we've, we've not seen before, and that's all right. Um, basically, what, what is going on here is the book of Revelation was originally written, not in English or another, it was written in the, in the Greek language. And just like English, Greek has an alphabet. And the first letter in that alphabet is alpha, and the last letter in that alphabet is omega. Alpha and omega is like saying A to Z. That's what it's saying here. And, and basically, when, when God calls himself the alpha and the omega, Vern Poythers helpfully summarizes that he says God is saying he's the alpha creator and the omega consummator. He is our eternal God who rules over everything from the beginning to the end of history. He is the one who in the beginning created all things and who is moving all things to the finality of his good and perfect plan. That is who he is. And you probably noticed that again, not only is he alpha and omega, but he says again, the one who is and who was and who is to come. But one thing we didn't say earlier about this, take a look at the wording, at the order of that. If we were going to do this chronologically, we would say, wait a second, this is out of order. You would say who was and who is and who is to come, if you wanted to chart it on a timeline, but, but God doesn't say it that way. He actually says who is. He takes that middle part and he, he pulls it out and he puts it at the beginning, and I believe he does that on purpose. I believe he does that on purpose because he wants us to notice it. And he wants us to see that he is the one who is with us right now. He was from the beginning. He will be in all eternity. And he is also present and with us right now in this moment. And this is the same truth we see in verse 5. Look with me there in verse 5. He says, um, there it is, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. 
Do you hear what he's saying about Jesus? He's not saying, oh, Jesus hopefully will be the ruler or Jesus will one day be the ruler. He's saying Jesus is the ruler over all kings on earth. And he says in the present tense, he, he is the ruler right now. That is who Jesus is. And did you notice what he says is he's, he's not a ruler, but he's the ruler of kings on earth. Now, when we think about kings, those are some pretty powerful people or institutions or establishments. And I want to tell you all a very short story just to kind of help us see a little more, like feel a little more clearly what, what he's trying to convey here. Now, I didn't play football, um, but we had a football team at my high school. And I remember I was, I was in the weight room one day and the, there, there were some pretty, pretty strong football players in there you know, lifting weights, getting strong. And a couple of them, they'd go on there, they'd get the bar. If you've ever seen a bar, you know, you can put like a lot of weight on those bars. And some of these guys were stacking up quite a bit of weight. And they were getting on the bench and like, you know, it was like stuff where it's like, if I had tried to do it, it would have just crushed me right away. But they were able to like, you know, kind of like with, with some effort and with someone spotting them, they were able to get a couple reps out, maybe two, maybe three. And none of us were saying anything. We were like, well, I couldn't do one of those. Like, that's pretty impressive. And uh, I hope those guys don't ever get angry at me. Um, well, then a few minutes later, one of our gym teachers came into the gym. Now, this guy, he had played in the NFL, and, uh, right? And, um, and he goes over to the bench, very quiet, gentle man, very kind man, but he goes over to the bench. He was massive. I don't even know how tall he was, at least 6'6". Six, six. He goes over to the bench, and I think, like, he actually put a couple more plates on as well. And he lies down on the bench, and where everyone else had been, like, struggling, he hadn't even warmed up. He lies down on the bench, and he takes the bar, and he's just like, whoop flips it off, no, no spotter, and he's just like, and the bar is bending, by the way. Like, I'm just standing there watching, it's like, like, is that thing going to break and kill somebody? You know, like, he's just like, he's like, is he going to stop? Clink, and he just stands up, and he walks away. And we're all just kind of like, just like what, looking at this, and we're like, eh, who's, got, who's got, no one? Okay, let's take those weights off. There was, there was not a single person in that room who could come close to the power and the strength of that man. If any one of us, if, if several of us had tried to line up with him, we would have all been in tears and in the hospital. And y'all, you take that difference between our strongest guy and, and our coach, and you multiply it this Bear with me, math people. I know this is an impossible math thing, but multiply it by infinity. That's the difference you get between the power of Jesus and the power of everyone else. And that is the power and the rule that Jesus is exercising right now over all things. And so when we see the, uh, and, and, and by the way, all the powers that would seek to turn us from our faithfulness as well. And so when we see this, we see that our God who calls us to faithfulness, that is the God who assures us that he is powerful, and that is the God who assures us that he is present. That is the Jesus who is in your corner and who is with you right now. Revelation gives us incredible encouragement because of the assurance of who God is. But it doesn't stop there. It is also about assurance from God about what he has done. Take a look with me in verse 5. He says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time someone said, I love you, to you, and you knew that they meant it? I, I hope it hasn't been long. 
But whether it's been a few minutes or maybe years, I I want you to hear it this morning. That's what Jesus is saying to you. Jesus loves you. He loves you very much. And, and he loves you so, so very much that he was willing to perform the greatest act of love in history. That's what it says is to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, he, he's talking about his sacrifice on the cross. This powerful Jesus loves you so much that he, he laid his life down for you to save you. He went to the cross, he paid the price for our sin, and so we who believe in him, we, we've actually been freed from the penalty that our sin requires. We have been freed from death. We have already received the greatest victory that we could ask for. Jesus has has done that for us. But after paying the price for sins, Jesus didn't simply remain in the grave. No, we we also see in verse five, a little bit earlier, that he is the faithful witness. We see he's the ruler of kings on earth, but right in the middle, we also see that he is the firstborn of the dead. After Jesus was in the grave for three days, those of us who have read the Bible, we know he rose victorious. But it doesn't just simply say that Jesus rose from the dead. It says he was the firstborn of the dead. And he says that because he's not the only one. He is the precedent maker. We who believe in Jesus, that is the pattern we are destined to follow. We we can't help but be raised from the dead when we belong to Jesus when he returns. That is what Jesus is doing uh, for us. And so that what that means is that if, even if we were to lose our lives in the service of King Jesus, not only would our souls immediately go to be with him in paradise, but we will also, when he returns in glory, our bodies like his will also be ra- uh, raised up. For us, death is not the final defeat. But just as we said earlier, for us, the theme of Revelation is ours, victory. Victory has the final word. And you may wonder how long could we go on. We're going to go on a little bit more because this is not all that God has done yet. Look with me in verse 7. In verse 7, Jesus says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. One day our king who has already inaugurated his kingdom, who is right now exercising rule over all things, he's going to come and, and complete the inauguration of his kingdom. All the storms that we're facing, all those thunderclouds will be rolled back as Jesus comes in glory with his clouds. That is what Jesus is going to do. And in the meantime, he assures us that as we wait, because of his love and sacrifice, he is also doing this for us. And this is the last thing we'll look at. Jesus tells us uh, in verse 4, As he writes to the seven churches through John, he says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ. Now, similar to the use of seven for the churches, seven here also represents completeness. You may wonder, what's what's this talk about seven spirits around the throne? And uh, again, if seven represents fullness, basically what John is doing is this is another way of, of saying the Holy Spirit. The number seven, which is perfect, he is using to describe the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And so what he's saying is our triune God greets us right now with grace. He greets us with peace. And throughout scripture, we see the assurance that God will give us the grace and the peace that we need to respond to his call to faithfulness. 
And we need this, this grace and peace. When I, um, when I was a kid, we would take these car trips. And uh, sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes these trips would involve driving over these very long bridges. Like from one point of land across a huge body of water to another point of land. And uh, when we were doing this, me and my siblings, we'd play a little game called Let's Hold Our Breath Across the Bridge. Uh, some of you may have played this game. And, you know, these little drives, can, they can stretch on for a couple of minutes. And so we would, we would be approaching the bridge. We're about, to, we're about to leave land. And we would get there and be like, all right, one, two, three. <gasps> and we're just holding it. And we're, like, holding our breath. And we're like, Dad, drive faster. And, uh, and Dad's, like, trying to drive as fast as he can without getting pulled over because then we'll be holding it longer. Um, and, uh, and so we're driving across the bridge, and we can see it. We can see the other side. We can see our destination. We know it's coming. But it didn't change the fact that our lungs were still like on fire in our chest. It didn't change the fact that we felt like they were going to explode. And that's kind of like, that's kind of like what, what being faithful to God can feel like sometimes. We know he's coming. We know Jesus will return. It's going to happen. And yet, as we follow him, as we, as we take up our cross, it can feel like agony. It can feel like we are holding our breath and, and we can doubt whether much we can bear the pain much longer before we just give up. That's what it, it can feel like. And so what God is saying to us here is he greets us with grace and with peace and he says, I know it's hard and I'm gonna give you everything you need as you wait for me. I am the ruler over all the earth and I'm gonna give you grace I'm going to give you peace to follow after me, no matter what you might face. Now, I do, I do need to say this. I imagine some of us, as we hear this, you may not be doing it physically, but maybe on the inside you're kind of like, like falling down in your chair a little bit, and you're like, man, I hope, I hope Andrew can't like read like minds from up there. I assure you I can't, uh, and I would not want to. Um, you may be wondering, can anyone like next to me, like I hope, I'm so glad no one can read my mind because... Andrew, if you knew what was going on inside of me, you would, you would realize I'd actually let my breath out a long time ago. There's been many times when the storms have been so intense and my lungs have burned so bad, I, I couldn't do it anymore. And I was unfaithful to God. And, and if that's true, I just want to remind you of what, what we've been talking about this morning. If that is true and you have failed to follow faithfully after God, let me remind you that Jesus is faithful to you. Let me remind you that Jesus was not kidding when he said that he loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood. And so if you are thinking about sins where you have turned away from faithfulness to God, hear what Jesus says to you. Jesus says, I know, and you are forgiven. I paid for that on the cross, and those sins have no power over you. You belong to me, and I love you. That is the word that you hear from Jesus when you believe in him. And he goes on and says, and because I love you, I'm also going to continue to give you my grace so that you have the power to repent of those sins, so you have the power to turn away from those sins and, and follow faithfully after me. I'm not leaving you alone. That is the good news that Jesus tells us. He tells us that God's grace makes it possible to answer his call to faithfulness. And so as we come to a close, I hope with the gospel ringing in our ears, I want to leave you with this following exhortation, kind of in, in light of all this. As we faithfully follow Jesus, part of our calling is as, as priests. Look with me in verse 6. It says he, that Jesus has made us a kingdom and priests to his God and Father.
Now, part of the role of a priest uh, in the Old Testament was someone who, who would serve God, and part of it was bearing witness to God, bearing witness to the world about who he is. God actually said, you will be to me a nation, a kingdom of priests. Israel was to be a, a people who, who displayed the glory of God and the goodness of God to all those around them. And that is our calling today. It's to bear witness to what God has done so that people might know the good news about Jesus and believe in him. And so I would encourage you, I would encourage you when you go home today, spend some time thinking about friends or neighbors or, or maybe even family members who, who don't know Jesus. Spend some time thinking about those, those people and, and pray and ask that God, ask that God would, would give you grace to serve as his priest by opening up doors to conversations with those people. Pray that he would open up doors and then also give you the grace and peace to, to walk through those doors when they're open, knowing that you don't go alone, but that our powerful God is present with you, that he'll go with you into those conversations. And, 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 and our hope and prayer would be that as God speaks the truth through you, that the people would believe that they would know Jesus, they would know this same hope and this same love so that when he does come back, and he will, that they would not need to wail, but that they'd actually be able to join us in rejoicing and in declaring, as John declares in verse 6, to him, to Jesus, be glory and dominion forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have revealed your truth to us we thank you that you call us to live a beautiful life of faithfulness to you, a life that is modeled after your beautiful faithfulness to us. And we thank you that in the midst of this call, you also give us assurance of who you are and of what you have and are doing and will do. And so we ask now, Lord, that this, that this grace and peace would root deeply in our hearts, that we would be more and more able to answer your call to faithfulness, and that we would be, do so knowing that when we fail, we are forgiven and that we go with a God who is present with us and who loves us very much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.